To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's happening, guys? Got a brand new Eastman's Elevated for you. So today I have back on my buddy Brandon Purcell. Uh, I really like Brandon. Uh, we've become friends over the years. Uh, the guy just absolutely goes for it. He knows how to put in the effort and how to be successful. Uh, this year, he took on the challenge of trying to get his guide license up in Alaska. And so he went up there for nearly a couple months and did sheep hunts, moose hunts, uh, did an elk hunt, uh, caribou, uh, just had this amazing time, and so we talk about the adventure of it, the extreme nature of the mountains and those doll sheep and what it's like to hunt them. Uh, we talked about the size of the moose and packing them. Uh, we talked about the weather. It's just this this awesome conversation. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I think you guys are going to enjoy it too. Uh, also, warning, uh, there is some explicit language in here. I mean, Brandon's just one of my buddies, and so we get on and we're a couple bros talking. And so uh, make sure that um, you know, you're aware of that if you have your kids in the car or something like that. And it's not too bad or over the top or anything. It's just um, mixed in the language. I mean, that's just... Um, how us guys talk every now and again. So uh, be wary of that. Other than that, it's just a great podcast. I really enjoyed it, and I'm sure you guys will enjoy it too. I want to thank my sponsor for today's show. I want to thank Sportsman's Warehouse. Uh, Sportsman's Warehouse has everything in a store where you can go in, you can try it out, you can look through it, uh, you can try it on, you can touch and feel the fabric to make sure it's exactly what you want to buy. Uh, they carry all the top name brands in there, and so uh, you can go in and compare and contrast them and see what's going to work best for your hunting style. Uh, it also works really good if you're on a trip or in route and there's something you need because there's Sportsman's Warehouse locations located uh, all across the western United States. Uh, they have a very knowledgeable staff. They get passionate people to work in each department that can help you out with rifles, help you out with bows, optics, clothing. Uh, they've got camping gear in there. They've got dehydrated meals. Uh, pretty much absolutely everything you need for hunting, fishing, and camping. So we really appreciate their support over here, and if you're in the need for anything on your trips or before your trips, make sure to check out Sportsman's Warehouse. With that, over there at Eastman's, um, putting out some good beyond the grids. Um, season kind of seems like a blur. I've just been going for it so hard here, but uh, we do have some great beyond the grids. Dan's elk hunts on there. I know I've got a couple coming up I'm really excited about. Uh, one I saw edited up and then the other one they're working on. So I'll let you guys know when those come out. Also look for us on the outdoor channel, set your DVR to that Eastman's hunting TV and, um, check out the magazines. We pour our heart and soul into these magazines. Gosh, that just reminds me right as I'm doing this, I have a deadline. That's something that I need to get written before I leave. I'm going to have to write that tonight. Um, but yeah, I, I do have a deadline that I forgot about till I mentioned it to you guys, but I, I love, uh, writing for the Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal, Eastman's Hunting Journal. I mean, this is where I got my start, and I've been writing for these magazines for 10 years. Uh, I, I really get to craft these articles to give you guys the pertinent information on how to be more successful out west. Uh, Eastman's really gives me artistic freedom on these things, and I try to come up 
with ideas that are out of the box that maybe you haven't heard of or haven't read before. I also enjoy our other staff articles. I've got a ton of respect for Dan Bacar. In fact, I need to get him back on the podcast. I'll hit him up as well. Um, he's, he's had a good elk season, killed a really good bull, but the guy's just a, a public land, do-it-yourself, die-hard hunter that just gets it done with his bow and arrow. Uh, he writes a ton of articles in there. Uh, we just got a, a great staff that we pour our heart and soul into these articles to give you guys the pertinent information. Uh, also, I really enjoy the subscriber stories, reading through those the submissions and looking at the photos. It's also great for field judging to be able to look at these animals and know what they score and uh, to be able to get tips for photos and uh, support photos and and then to be able to submit an article to Eastman's and be published. I mean, this is how I got my start was just being published in there multiple times until I finally uh, was hired on to write these staff articles. Um, so it's a great intro into the hunting industry. Uh, and also sponsors take notice. That's how I got my first few sponsors was uh, through writing um, for Eastman. So anyways, really cool stuff. Uh, also check out our um, Eastman's Tag Hub. It's our internet research tool. Guys are improving and evolving it all the time to give you guys good information to be able to learn these western states and be able to apply for these um, these tags. And Man, there's so many facets that go into being a good Western hunter and being able to locate opportunities, different tags, different states is a huge piece to the puzzle and Eastman's Tag Hub can help you with that. Oh, I have a promo code for both magazines, Elevated 321, $50 Outdoor Edge Replaceable Blade Knife as well. And with that, man, let's get into this podcast. This is a great one with Brandon Purcell. I'm your host, Brian Barney, Eastman's Elevated. Here we go. Yo, what do you know? What's cracking, dude? Ah, oh, dude, you've been living like a wild man. <laughs> trying, dude, trying. <laughs> man, it's been so crazy to just follow along a little bit. So, like, um, man, you've done a bunch of guiding and things over the years, but, uh, like, talk about, like, this most recent deal that you did, like, up in Alaska. You spent a bunch of time up there hunting for yourself and hunting for other guys. Yeah, I, uh just kind of took the leap this year is like you, you in alaska you have to have 60 days of hunting experience to get a guide's license and 30 of which have to be under a supervising like registered guide um and so i had like roughly like two hunts up there so like 20 days or whatever so i kind of i just bit the bullet and was like well if i want to guide up there I got to do it at some point, you know, and just got lucky and pretty much just got signed on for basically two months up there and got to do two sheep hunts, three moose hunts and an elk hunt, which was pretty sick. <laughs> Dude, way to go all in. Like you're, you're always going so hard. Like it's, um, it's fun to see you like embark on that Alaska. So you've done a couple hunts up there before then. Yeah, I did uh, a caribou hunt in 2017 and then a spring bear hunt in Prince of Wales uh, in May. That's right. This year. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, how was the spring bear hunt? Sick. Um, they build them big up there, know, don't, I don't they? Know. Yeah, they're just built different. <laughs> <You know? laughs> big coastal bears, right? Yeah, dude, and they're just huge. Like, I don't know, and you think, like, so I've said the mentality going into that, I was like, I'm all in going in with a bow, right? You're like, fuck it. I'm just like going to send it. And you like think you're like hunting them on the beach and you're like, well, 
like this is going to be easy you know it's like i don't have to like climb up the cliff to go kill him or whatever but like the hard part about that is like you know you can really only approach him from like one way depending on your wind and you know it's like there's a lot of variables there that make it way tougher you know and like dude i thought i had a rifle i could have killed like an eight foot bear like first day of of our trip you know like 113 yards i just couldn't get any closer with the bow you know and just like ah it's kind of heartbreaking but such as bow hunting i guess (laughs) (laughs) dude it is like you're so committed um like you're the the most skilled black bear hunter I know, and so like I can't imagine like you seeing those bears and being able to judge them out there. But you're also like like uh, one of the best bow hunters I know. Like you really commit to that bow when you set your mind to it. So you set your mind to it, and then you saw the one, an eight foot coastal black bear there on that beach, and and uh, 115 is as close as you could get, huh? Yeah, it was just like he was just in a pocket, and like on a like. South Southeast Alaska is insane. Like the vegetation is like super thick, you know, and like the and there's just like you can't like sneak through the timber, you know. It's just like incredibly dense brush, and it's like when it's dead quiet on the ocean, like because you're you know we were seventy miles south of anywhere, so there's no like ambient noise other than the ocean, you know. And it's like <clears throat> dude, trying to sneak in on that thing. Was, he eventually like heard us and was like, "I'm out of here." But I saw that bear on the when we were on the boat we weren't even to our destination yet and i was like he was like six miles away and it was like that is a huge huge bear you know (laughs) and then you get you get closer to him and you're like whoa but it was weird because it was the very first bear we saw and i really like i was coming you know i'm coming from montana and i've seen a lot of bears but it's like you see that one and it's just like bigger than any bear you've seen in montana and you're just like oh it's the first day like i don't know you know if i would have had a rifle i probably would have shot it but it's like I, don't know, I did what I could to kill it with a bow, but it just didn't like work out. You know, I eventually did kill a bear last day on the last bay. I shot it at like five yards. It was not the bear that I went to Alaska for, but it was still, you know, it was a good hunt, but. Oh man. That is what it is. Um, that's, that's tough when you see like the one on the first day, because you're always wondering what else is out there. You're like, man, they're all built like this. Like we're going to see a ton of these things, you know? And so you yeah. like, you don't take the situation maybe as serious as you should, but like, like that's how you kill a big one with a, a bow. That's how you kill anything with a bow is you got to commit to it. It seems like if you have that option that you're going to pull out the rifle, it seems like that's inevitably what happens, you know? Um, so man, good on you keeping your guns and like five yards and killed a, a coastal black bear and you'll be back. What is the recipe for success oh, yeah. up there? Is it like, um, waiting for like more uh, wind noise off the ocean or waiting for that bear to be in the right spot? Like, is it a good bow hunt to go on? It, uh, yes and no. So it's like the best time to hunt them is when the tide is out. So there's like more beach exposed, I guess, you know, and they feel more comfortable to like come out. And so there'll be like two tide swings a day, you know, there'll be like two high tides and two low tides. And it just kind of depends on like timing of like when you're there of like what it's doing. And it's like way easier to move in on them when the tide's low because you just have more to work with, you know. Um, it is a sick bow hunt just because like, uh, and if you like, I'm not a huge proponent of baiting. I'm just like not into it, uh, teach their own, but 
I will say, like, I think that's probably the best way to kill a giant bear up there is if you had the time, because you'd have, it would take a lot of logistics to actually, like, do it right. But you'd be able to, like, get that bear to, like, keep hitting the same spot, you know, if you found one. Um, it's just tough when there's nothing to really, like, it's hard, it's harder than it looks to sneak in on them. With a rifle, it's like, it's a done deal. You would be 100% successful if you went up there with a gun. But with a bow, it's like, you know, your odds are going to be a little bit lower, but it's still like definitely doable, you know, and it, it'd be a great bow hunt for somebody who's maybe like a little bit more physically impaired, you know, or didn't want to do like a mountain black bear hunt with a bow. Copy. Would you do it again? Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> dude, it for had sure. to be pretty for cool sure. living off the boat too, huh? Oh dude. Yeah. Spending a week on the boat was like pretty sweet and like, it was super cool just being like that far removed from anything, you know? And it's like, we were like 70 miles South of town. And at the time that was probably like the most remote I've probably ever been, you know, until like this fall. And then it was just like, that was just kind of like a, you know, that was like the infield. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that's a wild feeling when you're like over a hundred miles and it's like from civilization and it's not like just a hundred miles of like, you know, because I can I can run a hundred miles, but it's through like the tundra and crossing rivers and over mountain ranges, and it's like it's not even feasible to walk back to civilization. That's a pretty strange feeling, isn't it? When that plane takes off. Oh, dude, yeah, I don't know. It's not like it's pretty unnerving. You know, like uh, we guided in the Alaska range for sheep, and it was like like we were like a hundred and thirty or a hundred and forty miles from town. You know, and it's like you just get dropped off, and the whole time you're flying in there, you're like, there's no way I could. I mean, you could. You, you could, but it would, like, really suck, you know? <laughs> Bad. <laughs> it would take absolutely everything you had to, like, to, just to give yourself oh, a chance sure. to be able to walk back to town. Yeah. Um, yeah. For sure. It'd be like a Herculean out. It'd be like, yeah, it would require such an immense effort to get out of there, like. You'd hope that it never came to that, you know? Yes. Uh, well, dude, it had to be so wild, like, to go on those adventures this fall to be able to, like, partake in um, sheep hunts for doll sheep. Dude, I've just been dying my whole life. Like, those things look like such an amazing animal, and the country they live in uh, uh, just looks so uh, uh, so so rugged, so wild, so pristine, and, and so big, you know? And it, it seems like they're not everywhere. Like, it seems like a real challenging hunt where you've got to do – a ton of mountain miles, which is like perfectly suited for you as you love to do death marches and you love like tough hunts. Uh, so how was it, dude? Uh, I mean, to be honest with you, the Alaska range, and I've heard this from a buddy yesterday too, is like, it's very unnerving. It feels like every, cause they're a very young mountain range. So they're still like decomposing, you know, and like rotting essentially. And it's like, it feels like everything in there is just out to kill you. You know, it's like that you watch landslides happen and like listen to rock fall all night. And like, there's some like stuff that I was not prepared for. You know, it's like Montana after doing all that, like Montana feels very tame. Like our mountains are very old. They're very like solid. There's not a whole lot of like landslides going on, but it's like up there, you can see the raw evidence of these mountains, like changing. Like you can see where these landslides that were like two, 300 yards wide have come down and like, covered part of the river channel or like even when you're hiking up some of these creeks it's like out of the terrain for me it was more intimidating like the hunting wasn't really like they're white sheep you know and it's like you kind of see them 
fairly, you still have to cover ground and like, but it's like navigating through that country is like kind of unnerving, you know? And like, I don't know if everybody feels that way, but like, for me, it's like, I feel like you're constantly kind of on edge, like, just like, all right, I don't want to die here. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, unnerving is like the, the perfect description of those. Uh, so, so it's absolute mountaineering and, and unnerving. Like you, you just, um, walking by rock slides and where the hillsides are giving way, like you just don't feel safe all the time. I guess you feel like on edge. It, It would seem to me anyways. Oh yeah. And then couple that with like, you know, two bush plane rides to get to where you're at and like the remoteness and like, you know, and then grizzly bears and like all that. And like the grizzly bears for me, that was like the least of my concern the whole time I was in there. Cause like the bears have, you know, it's like, yeah, whatever. They have like a pretty rich food source. So it's like, you know, and like the bears are the least of your concern that like the terrain, I mean, some of that stuff straight up looks like it's out of Kyrgyzstan or Tajikistan. It's just like straight vertical. You know, like not, I mean, it's not a hundred percent straight up, but it's like very steep and like landslides and like rock slides and all that like happen. And I mean, you're, you're camping and you're like, you try to camp in like smart spots, but you still like see boulders and it's like, well, how'd they get there? You know? And it's like, you just got to look up and that's like, there's your answer. And it's like, you know, the biggest thing too, is like after it rains and it like saturates the mountain, <clears throat> once it kind of like starts drying out, like that's what everything happens. The Alaska Ranges gets hit with weather constantly, so the, those mountains are constantly changing, you know, and it's like, ah, yeah, you know. Yeah, I've definitely cool. been in sure. mountains where you're hearing those rock slides. Like, I can remember in the southern Alps of New Zealand, like, um, we went through this, um, you know, this bad weather system. Like, you get that coastal weather, and so that rain came in and saturated everything like you were talking about. And then almost even a little snow, too, but at night it was just constant rock slides. And I remember waking up in my tent and hearing like this major rock slide, just wondering like, I hope this isn't coming down on me. You know, it's like, it's so loud in there too. Um, that is super unnerving. And, and just like that extreme environment, you can't make any mistakes. And like you say, it's not all vertical. It links together, but in the same breath, like you're really pushing your limits of what you can navigate in the mountains in that stuff. And, and a lot of times, like, um, you know, I know in the, like in the Southern Alps, like you couldn't like at night, if, if there was snowfall or whatever, and then it got cold on those hillsides, you couldn't make it across those hillsides because they were too steep and you'd get like this ice layer on it that was super spooky, you know, and I've, I've never had to have crampons or, but I, I think when I go back to that place, like they make a trekking pole with an ice axe on it. And I think that would be like a super smart move in that country just to be able to navigate around. But I know what you're saying. Like, man, that's as extreme of an environment as you can go to and try to hunt. For sure. Yeah. And dude, it is weird that you mentioned the rock slides only happening at night. I swear it's like the mountain is like talking to you, you know, but it's like, oh, it's just, and it seems like all day you don't hear a single rock slide. And then at night you get in your tent and you just like hear them. And it's like, they don't even have to be that big to like sound big, you know, and you just like can't see anything. You're like, oh, (laughs) (laughs) that's the worst in the dark too. When you're sitting inside your tent and there's nothing you can do. You've already chose your spot to camp. Like you're at the mercy of the mountain at that point. Yeah, for sure. I don't know. It, It lends to it. I definitely think it's like a very unique experience, you know, it's like, uh, we spent, I spent like 18 days in there and like five of which were by myself. And it was just like, by the end of those five days, I was like, get me out of here, man. <laughs> <You know? laughs> 
Oh, that is wild. Like, uh, had to be fun to like um, cruise those mountains though. Like in daytime, and when you caught good ridge lines and like had a good plan, and we're moving around looking for sheep, dude. It had to be wild to spend time in there. Oh, dude, for sure. And like just getting to see those sheep and like where they like were living was like absolutely epic, you know. And like that terrain is. I don't know. It's uncomparable. And just seeing like giant caribou and like big grizzlies and like, <clears throat> I mean, kind of, it's, it's very unique. You know, you don't get that anywhere. Like Alaska is a beast of a different nature, you know, and I'm sure like, you know, Northern British Columbia and like the Yukon Northwest territories are the same vibe, you know, but it's like, I don't know. You, you really do have to experience it to like understand it. You know, and I think the Southern Alps in New Zealand probably, pretty similar you know but it's it's just crazy like you don't we just don't get that kind of like wildness here you know Mm -mm. sounds one of a kind up there um those white sheep um so they live in some pretty extreme places like how fun was it glassing those things like uh uh watching a ram through your spotting scope had to be pretty cool it's just like so much different than me and you are used to here in montana oh for sure dude and like it's you know in some of the spots they were living like look like golf courses up on the mountain just like huge swaths of green but then other times they're like moving through this like kurdistani stuff and you're just like looking at it like there's legitimately some it's like mountain goat hunting here i guess it's like there's some zones where you legitimately there's no way you could possibly kill one in there you know like zero chance like the last one of the last days i was in there i saw like i mean it looked like like an argali ram (laughs) to me it was huge you know, but it was like, there's no way we can move. There's no way we could ever get to it where it was. You know, it was just like, dude, he's sitting in the middle of like 2,000 feet of like Kyrgyzstani head wall. And it's like, there's, there's just, you, you, you have to wait for them to walk out from that. You know, like, there's no way. Because even if you did shoot one in there, like, what are you going to do? You know, it's like a crumbly mountainside. Like, I would, there's no way in hell I'd ever walk through that, you know? Yeah, that sounds a lot like um, my mountain goat experience. Like uh, you'd find some great big billies, and they were just on in such the the cliffs in such extreme country that you know. And I thought I could go everywhere a goat can go. I cannot. Like those things can play yeah. on slopes that you know that I won't. I can't even get on with ropes. You know, they're just vertical slopes. And so yeah, I'd imagine those sheep getting spots. And it was one of the more frustrating things is I. I really like hunting extreme terrain. Like, I've fallen in love with high country muleys, but, you know, there isn't very many spots a muley beds or a muley goes that I can't get to, and that's a different story with goats. And so I did spend a lot of my time sitting on big billies on the most, like, the biggest cliff faces, and I couldn't do anything about it. Like, all you can do is just be patient and wait for them to move off. It sounds similar. Oh, yeah, for sure. It definitely reminded me of hunting like that except you know the whole mountain is that (laughs) the goat hunting here it's like yeah you're hunting them up towards the top and it's like that it's like i mean there can be like kyrgyzstani head walls the whole from like the bottom of the river to the top and just yeah the terrain is like insane oh my god and then you see caribou and like the same stuff you know like or just below kind of i guess the sheep but it's like this caribou would like go up and over like these mountain passes and you're just like dude what are these things doing like you'd see their tracks you know and it's like those things don't care at all it's insane. Oh, they can just cruise those mountains, huh? Yeah, it's nuts. And like we saw a couple like world class caribou in there, and it's just like the whole time you're like, uh, I don't know, it's a sheep hunt. And then like in Alaska, you can, based on the value of whatever tag you bought, you can like tag anything under that value, you know? Um, 
And so you're like sitting there looking at Boone and Crockett Caribou, like, uh, I don't know, should you shoot this thing? Like, it's, I know you paid for a sheep hunt, but it's like, man, that's a Boone and Crockett Caribou easily, you know? And it's like, uh, that's a tough decision to make, but it's like, I don't know, you're going to kill a sheep. You're not going to, you don't want to kill a caribou, you know, instead. Yeah. Is that, did all the clients make that decision where they were sheep hunting and not caribou hunting? Yeah, pretty much. We had one client who was, he was, he, he was just not prepared for it for the sheep hunt, you know? And it was like, at one point we had this Boone and Crockett bull. We had seen like three or four times, like since the beginning of the season. And he walked in front of us like 150 yards. And I was just like, dude, I would seriously consider shooting that. You know, it's like this sheep hunt's going to be a grind for you, you know? And this is like day four or five of a 10 day hunt. And it's like, he's like, Nope, I'm on a sheep hunt. And I was, it was tough to watch that caribou walk off, you know? Cause it's like, you knew that that guy was in for like a serious, he was already defeated and he still had five days to go, you know, hmm. man, you can, you can see it and feel it. Like we know it, we've been on enough tough hunts, but I, I bet you can see it in those clients sometimes like that guy, like just didn't, wasn't quite prepared enough. And that, that mountain will just humble you, won't it? It'll just take it out <laughs> yeah. of you. For sure. I could saw when he got off the airplane that he wasn't prepared for it. You know, it was like his sleeping bag looked like about a five gallon bucket. And I was just like, whoa, what are we doing here? Dude? <laughs> like, that's bad. I'm like, oh, I don't know. I've done, you know, I've done it long enough where you can kind of get a pretty good beat on people. I'm like, just seeing them it's bad when it's like he's getting out of the airplane. And you're like, oh, shit. <laughs> you know? Uh, that's oh, what it is. But... Uh, yeah, it is what it is. I hear you loud and clear. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, uh, how was it judging those sheep? Like, um, w- what did they have to be to be legal in your area? Uh, so they had to be full curl, you know, which is like highly subjective in its own right. I mean, if you oh, read through the Alaska regulations, it's like, dude, there's three or four different ways you can do it. But it's like, bottom line is like, you want to be a hundred percent sure that that thing's legal like we got one that was easily cleared full curl the first one and then the second one was like right on the line and it was like <clears throat> i don't know you're, the whole time you're sweating you know you're just like oh dude like and i know i don't know like i wasn't the guide on the hunt i was technically the packer mm-hmm. but it was like still in like lending opinion you know and it's still like oh my dude the first time we looked at like numerous rams that were within like one to two inches of being legal you know, they either have to be like eight years old or full curl or broomed or pass like the circle test, you know, and it's like, but we watched numerous rams that were like within an inch or two. And you just have to like literally sit there and watch that thing in the spot or high zoom and just like watch it, watch it, watch it, watch it, watch it, watch it, and just make sure you're not going to like fuck up and do something stupid. Cause you can lose, like if you have, you know, when you are an assistant guide, you can lose your guide's license and uh, like incur a fine if you kill a sublegal sheep, you know, so you don't want to like, that is like, you know, here, I don't know, it's three quarter curl in Montana. So it's pretty easy to surpass that, you know, but it's still, I mean, it's, they don't, they don't like mess around with it at all. It's like a big deal, you know? Yeah. Huge deal. You can't be wrong. Yeah. That's wild. Like no uh, major um, uh, repercussions for your actions. Like if you shoot one that's less than that for the hunter and for the guide and everybody involved, it just, it just be such a bad situation and scenario. Uh, but yeah, you were, uh, everybody was sweating it on that second one, even when he was on the ground, just because it is so subjective, huh? Oh, for sure. <clears throat> and it's like, I wasn't like, present there when they shot it so i had no idea but i like kind of got shuttled around and then helped them pack it out and it was like 
oof, even picking it up, I was like, oh man, this is close. And you don't, you know, and then it's like, you don't ever tell the client that, but it's like, you don't really know until you get it sealed, whether it's going to like, unless it's like glaringly obvious, you know, it's, I think there's a lot of rams that get shot in Alaska that are like very close or like right on the line, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I bet. Um, Man, and and eight years old, are you able to count the age rings on there or they can trick you too, can't they? Yeah, for sure. Because there's like false nebulae, which is, I think technically like the definition of it is like, when you, the annulae like passes like the top of the horn that like the angle of the horn like changes, you know, but it's like, I think in some of those, like you're looking at them, some of it is like pretty obvious when you sit there and watch it long enough. It's like, okay, that Ram is X amount of years old, you know, but then other ones, it's like, there's a lot of those false annulae in there and you're just like, God, is that like, you know, is that eight or is that six, you know? And you want them to all be like full curl plus, but, <clears throat> you know, I don't know. That doesn't always happen. Hmm. Man, oh man. And the, the broomed rule, is that like broomed on one horn or broomed on both? Or how does that qualify? I want to say it's broomed on one side. Um, but even like the broom thing, if you look at the definition, it's like, it has to be like pretty broken. It can't just be like, you know, slightly rubbed down or something like it has to be like broke, you know? And like, that's, I mean, that's pretty, it takes a lot for those things to like break the ends of their horns off. You know, and it's like, uh, I don't know if, like, if I had personally had a tag up there, I'd be shooting for way over full curl or just like double broomed, you know, just so like, you know, there's no possible way that that thing's not going to pass, you know? It makes sense. There'd, there'd be so much anxiety around shooting the right one. Like I even know, like hunting moose up there, the, the four brow tines or 50 inches wide. It's like, you can't, I couldn't shoot anything close to 50 inches. Like for me to consider shooting it, it had to be 55 plus or 60 inches where there was absolutely no doubt in my mind that that thing's going to be wide enough. And the easiest way is to have four brow tines because I can count, you know, it's like, at least I know I'm good on that, you know, it's like I can see four of them (laughs) on there. Okay, I'm good, you know, but that's nerve wracking, sure. and especially like you say, Alaska takes it so serious, like, um, uh, and rightfully so, you know, it's um, uh, you know, to their their animals, you know, it's part of their uh, renewable resource up there, and they don't want guys from out of state or in state, you know, to to shoot the wrong. Uh, the wrong animal that you know they have biologists managing the the populations and they want to take certain age class out so i get it but yeah they are really serious about it up there for sure for sure and like even on the moose thing it's like you know the 50 inch thing that's tough like and you can use their eyes are generally like 10 inches apart and so if you take like a screenshot or something like pete the guy was with he was using like an instagram filter that was a ruler and he would take the ruler and like stack it up to the eyes and then get like a bead on how wide the moose were, you know? And it's like, it was actually pretty accurate. We were within like both the bulls that we killed with clients. We were within like two inches of it, Wow. you know? So it was, oh, like, that's crazy. Pretty... So between the eyes is 10 inches. See, I used like the ear to ear spread was 30 inches or I tried to use like an ear was 12 inches. And so like, for sure, know, that that's what I how I was trying to judge it. But it's been a few years. But that seems super smart to like, use like the the ruler on the picture and then the eyes at 10 inches and the eyes at 10 inches isn't going to change. No, and it's like all the moose like I was. Yeah, I did. We essentially did three moose hunts and it's like every single one we measured them and it was pretty much 10 inches on the dot. You know, like that's pretty consistent once they're like branch antlered bulls, you know. Hmm. 
Oh, wild. Yeah, just can't make any mistakes. Like you say, if uh, ever go sheep hunting or doll sheep, it'd have to be a big one. Like you just wouldn't want to make that mistake or have something close or have the anxiety of it. But even after you shoot no. it and you know and you've been looking at it, it's still got to be nerve-wracking walking up. It's got to be a good feeling when you count the age rings and he's over eight or, you know, you get up and look at him. He's like, okay, he's obviously over full curl. Like, okay, we're good. For sure. Yeah, for sure. And like, you know, some of the areas of the state, like some of the special draw areas, like the shoe gatch and the toke area, they don't have to be full curl. There's any ram, but I still like it's a trophy area, you know, but it's like, and I don't, it's just like elk or something. It's like the bigger rams are going to like look big. And if you really like, you know, if you're physically able, like a guy like you or if or I could like go up there and endure the full 10 days at like full send, but you don't always get that with clients, you know, so it's like you're trying to just get a legal ram you know, which is, can be tough when guys are like physically not in, you know, predator mode. <laughs> oh yeah. No, I get you there. Like, uh, uh, the elevation has to be crazy. Like they're mountain miles and there's no easy way. There's no horses. There's, it's all backpacking and backpacking is so extremely tough. It's just grueling. And it's, you know, it's, it's grueling for guys like me and you that live in the mountains. I can't imagine guys that don't live in the mountains, you know, or don't spend all their time or, you know, don't train like an absolute madman because that backpacking with everything you need to survive on your back is grueling. And, and I can only imagine yeah. in that range, like all the climbing that you guys had to do with all your gear, um, man, it, it, it'll just break guys one after the other, even experienced mountain guys, you know, that place is tough. At least it sounds like it. Oh, yeah, and I think even beyond the, like, elevation, it was the weather, you know? It's like at one point, like, we were going to try to make camp up in this one creek, and it's like we got down to the creek and started getting water, and the rain was literally blowing uphill. You know, the wind was that strong, and it was just, like, pissing rain. Like, just, and only Alaska-style rain. It's, at like, 40 degrees and raining, you know, just, like, absolute, like, garbage weather. You know, and, like, that'll, like... <clears throat> For me, it's like, I don't know, cheers to having good gear, but, you know, it's like, dude, that is not fun. You know, even, like, crawling in the tent at night is just like, dude, this is borderline, like, hardly enjoyable. <laughs> dude, and dangerous, right? There's nothing more dangerous than oh, yeah. being wet. And it's, when it rains like that, and when it rains that hard, like, it reminds me of, like, the Pacific Northwest and steelhead fishing. Like, you can have the best gear in the world. You can have waders, the best rain jacket, all the best gear. You're still wet at the end of the day. Like, it creeps in oh, from yeah. your hood. It creeps in in your sleeves. Like, you just, you when it pours an inch or two inches of rain or rains uphill, like you were talking about, like, there yeah, is yeah, no keeping dude. dry, you know? And it's like, it's not like you're hopping in this warm tent that's heated that you can dry out your gear. Like, you're, you're hopping <laughs> yeah. in this cold, damp tent with just condensation all over the inside all oh, your gears yeah. wet and you're just trying to keep your sleeping bag dry and trying to get warm inside but dude it's like it's like surviving at that point you know man it's tough when it's that wet so you're right like that that weather throws like another wrench in the in the whole deal man for sure yeah that was the biggest obstacle because yeah it doesn't matter what you're wearing it's like you're still gonna be wet i don't care what you have on you know it's like you're gonna be wet and it's like, and then to top that off, your feet are wet the entire time. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's so miserable, man. So oh, miserable. Yeah. And it's like, you can have the best boots and gaiters and the whole deal, oh, but yeah. eventually oh, yeah. it just starts to seep through your pants and into your sock. Eventually your boots are wet, you know? And it's like, there's nothing sure. worse than wet feet too. And 
like that trench feet uh, trench foot is real you imagine those guys like in vietnam that got that and like there's some end no. of the days like it's when your skin gets so soft and almost the cracks in your skin from being wet all day like start to hurt oh, yeah. and get really painful like that's dangerous you you get any trench foot up there uh i didn't i kept decent care of my feet no, i don't know you know it's like once you, I feel like once you kind of get out of like the serious like river channel crossings and you're kind of up in the country, it's you don't your feet aren't as wet and you kind of get them dry, you know. But it's like still, I feel like they're just half ass damp the whole time, you know. And just yeah. like uh, it's you always know, kind of tough, like putting putting on like wet socks in the morning, you know. <laughs> that's <laughs> the worst, gross. isn't it? Oh, that's rough. Yeah. Dude. Uh, uh, yeah, well, and if they're not wet from, like, um, uh, the rain or what, they're wet, wet from sweat from pushing up those mountains so much, you know? So, For yeah, sure. like, just damp feet, man. That's the worst. Um, that uh, Have you had that trench foot before where uh, you hike all day and, like, wet? It is about foot care. It's about not letting them get that sure. wet. But I know I've had mine to that point before, man. That is miserable. Yeah, I cannot imagine. It's very fun at all. Yeah, that yeah, that sounds terrible. <laughs> huh. Wild man, and so um, so you did some moose hunts. What did you think about moose hunting? Oh, dude, I, I I always thought that like elk hunting was like the ultimate, you know. But I don't know, man. Like I hunted, I had a Shires tag like literally twenty years ago to the year, and super cool, you know. But it's like I didn't really get the full experience. I was thirteen years old, so it wasn't like I wasn't fully in it. But, dude, like, seeing those western Alaska moose, like, fucking rutted out and, like, strutting around and, like, grunting and, like, dude, just the sheer magnitude of the size of that animal, dude, it is, like, I don't know, there's something like very primal about, I guess, like, hunting them, because they're so big, you know, and it's, like, we were hunting super mature animals out there, like, they're probably, like, 10 to 12 years old, you know, and it's just, like, I mean, you're literally hunting the king the largest land animal in North America, you know, and it's just like, dude, it is, it's unreal to see those things up close. And then it's even crazier to see them on the ground, you know, like uh, it, it, it makes an elk look like a mule deer, you know, <laughs> crazy, just an absolute dinosaur, like so big, um, dude. Yeah. Crazy, yeah, <laughs> crazy to see in person. Those Alaskan Yukon moose are just some of the the biggest animals. You know, the body size and the height of them, and then those racks. And when they really carry like a like a big rack, the palmation and like the weight of those racks is crazy. So yeah, you're right. You're like hunting um, the absolute king of the mountain back there and the king of Alaska. Um, that's pretty wild. And so you guys saw some moose. Um, get some calling experiences on them. Yeah, for sure. We were like slightly early on the rut. I think our season opened up like, uh, like September 5th. I don't think our clients got until the 6th. So we were still like, it wasn't like prime rut yet. You know, they were like kind of thinking about it. Um, we did like, we were able to call in the one bull, the second bull that we killed. Um, the first bull we killed, we kind of, he was bedded in a spot. It was like 350 yards away. And we were just trying to get him to like stand up and we just started grunting at him and eventually just like stood up and started like strutting around like posturing, you know, and the client was able to kill him. Um, the bull that I killed my buddy Pete, we called that thing in from like 900, a thousand yards, called him right into like 420 yards or something like that. And he was just like, I mean, 
not on a string like you see elk do where it's just like they're running at you like sprinting but he was still like he came in you know like slow but i mean he came you know he covered quite a bit of ground to get to where like within shooting distance you know oh wow were you guys using um cow sounds yeah like a lot of the yeah a lot of like cow like you know like it definitely like works it's crazy and like what's crazy to watch is they use their paddles like almost like um they're like sound amplifiers because you can see them put their like ears up in them and like like tilt their head around to like look where the sound is coming from you know so it's almost like a radio antenna for them and like i swear they use them to like hear better because it's like you'd be calling those things from like you know, a mile or plus out and like they can hear it and you think that it's not very loud coming out of your mouth. And it's like, then you watch, you watch them through the spotting scope after you make a call and you watch their heads like, like turn and look, you know, and they're like pinned on you, you know, like pinned. It's like pretty cool to see. Hmm, super cool. Yeah. Um, I know I, I hunted them, um, did like a hundred mile float and hunted them in a really good spot. Cause I saw like 10 bulls in there during the hunt. Holy cow. Um, yeah, it was an amazing hunt. It's so killer. But the big ones just zigged when I needed them to zag and I called one in and it's wild For sure. <laughs> when you, when you call them, like you say, they don't come in on a string like an elk, like they can come in an hour later, two hours later and meander right. in. And like the one I called in was a great big one. But I was calling in the the evening hunt, and then at night I could hear some grunting, and I look across, and in the moonlight I can see him walking on the other side of the river, and then he totally crosses the river and comes right through our camp at night, like right from where I was calling. Holy you know? cow. Like, oh, man. Holy uh, but, cow. But they are just like wild to hunt, man. Um, they're they're um, so large, and they cover country so quick, too. It's amazing like how fast they can cover country. Um, like, uh, the areas that you were hunting, were you able to glass quite a bit or was it pretty thick cover or where were you guys targeting them at? Um, we were just kind of like, uh, we were kind of in some open stuff. We were able to glass quite a bit, but I mean, when you're getting dropped off on the airplane, you're pretty much like dedicated to your strip, you know, cause it's like, you, you know, where we were at, you had to leave bone in and you had to take the whole rack of ribs. So it's not like you're not packing that thing. You don't want to pack that thing over a mile, you know? And it's like, we were lucky we packed one from about 900 and one from about 700 yards, you know, but it's still like those hindquarters are 130, 140 pounds, you know, easily. Like, I mean, (laughs) yeah. And looking at that thing and like ponying up and like throwing that thing on your back is not very much fun. (laughs) (laughs) Like this absolutely sucks you know and you're kind of like grounded so you kind of you know you're looking at like a half mile either way or more maybe a little bit more from your camp you know and just like you'd be a fool i think to try to do it any further or just like it would mentally break you i don't care how strong you are there's i mean it takes a long time to pony that load up and like carry it back to camp especially if there's any elevation gain you know but it's like we saw you know and we were kind of pre-rut so those moves were like moving quite a bit and there, I feel felt like we saw like five or six bulls in like a four day period when we were at that strip, and we ended up killing two of them, you know. Um, but it was, I mean, yeah, new bulls every day, you know, pretty cool. 
Man, you guys were in a good spot. Yeah, it's nice when you can glass. So when we did ours, same thing. Like I had to put restrictions on myself, and I'm, I'm not used to restricting myself how far to go. But yeah, like I could grasp packing one of those things out, and that yeah, I couldn't go more than a mile from the river. Like there was, you know, I die trying to get it back farther than that, you know. Um, but the nice thing was, is we had the river, so we could cover country and move camps all the way down. And yeah, where we first started was just this killer country like in the head of the drainages where this river started and it was fairly open terrain and there was a bunch of bulls in there moving around and things but i had a hundred miles of river to cover and so eventually like three yeah. four days you're like man i better get going or i'm gonna be stuck here you know and uh, also sure. the river starts to freeze up and then you get like um oh. less water and you can't get the rafts down it as it gets colder you know so you're worried about that as well but the lower we got the brushier it got and the less we could glass and we still saw some moose on the river edges and you know we'd still call but it seems like the farther we got down the tougher the hunting was and so then the next plan you know would be to hunt up higher and then just take two days and bomb down the whole thing and my buddy ended up doing it again the next year and he killed he killed a really nice 60 inch moose in one of the flats well actually the same flat where i called that bull in uh, you know, he just oh, no used kidding. that knowledge from the year prior of where the the moose were and then went back and hunted it efficiently, you know, and killed one out of there. But um, it sure seems like it was it was way better hunting up higher where we could glass a little bit, where it was a little bit more open terrain and where those bulls, they're actually migrating to, you know, for the rut. And so they're migrating. For sure. Like a lot of them are migrating, you know, out of Canada and out of different places to come in these drainages and come find cows. So it was good up high, not as good down low. So that's why I asked the question. But for yeah, sure. those sounds like you guys were on a good strip and saw four bulls in there. Yeah, it was sweet. And like we had, we, were, we got dropped off on another strip like five days before the season to kind of hold it down. And we ended up not seeing a single moose at that strip for five days. We saw like 45 bears. We didn't see a single <laughs> moose. So it was like, it was kind of shitty. You know, you're just like, cause, and we didn't have like knowing what we know now, I wish I would have had a black bear tag. Cause we saw like, I mean, the bears there were bigger. I thought than the, and granted they're fall bears, but they looked bigger than the ones in Prince of Wales. You know, they were huge and we didn't have tags. So we weren't like, couldn't really do anything. So we were just like sitting there you know, like spinning wheels, like not seeing moose. And so when we did get moved to like the strip that had moose at it, it was like, we were ready, you know, like ready to send it, like aggressively ready to send it. <laughs> <laughs> Chomping at the bit. Uh, how big did the yeah. the bulls end up that you guys ended up killing the client? And then yours looked like a really nice bull as well, dude. Congratulations. Oh, thanks man. Um, yeah. So the first client's bull, it wasn't really terribly wide, but the paddles themselves were like super thick. Like, um, and I want to say it was like the one paddle was almost two feet wide and it was pretty much carried the palmation all the way out through the front palm. Um, the front palms were just like tremendous. It almost looked like, like an agave plant or something, you know, just like huge, like it was insane. Um, the other one was like 62, uh, inches wide. He, he was like more massive, but he didn't have nearly like the front palms, you know? Um, it was crazy though. Like his bull, that the second bull we killed did not look very impressive, like through the spotter, through the uh, binos. But then when he got up to it, it was like, whoa, that bull is huge. You know, he's like, yeah, 62 inches wide. I mean, there's nothing to scoff at there and just like ultra massive, you know, like huge. Um, so my bull, 
what like looked like felt like a child you know because we killed it <laughs> off the road system um but it was like you know 48 inches wide three brow um still I, i'm over the moon about it you know it was like it was super cool to go out on an over-the-counter tag bought a tag and less than 24 hours later killed a moose you know like pretty outstanding and epic table fair you know um but it's definitely not something i'm gonna wait you know it's been 20 years since i hunted moose or personally you know and it's like i'm de- I'm not waiting that long again for sure dude that's so cool and killing them off those road systems is tough like uh in alaska there's so much remote country but it costs a lot to be able to fly out to those different places and fly a moose back you know and so for like, sure. um the the locals and like the uh, you know, one way you can go about it is using the road systems, but they're very limited in Alaska, and the road systems are what all the locals use from the towns as well. You know, and so like um, when you when you can't, it's pretty impressive that you guys were able to find a good bull like that and shoot him off the road systems. You know, and and find him and go make your own adventure. And there is like there is opportunity for that there. You know, you just have to get out and get out and and uh, explore like you guys did. Man, that's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. I think then I think with that road system hunt too, I think if you had like a four wheeler or a UT or a you know a yeah like a side by side, I think you could have a pretty good chance at like having a pretty damn good moose hunt just because you could get off the road a little ways, you know. Um, and we literally spotted the moose that I killed like nine hundred or a thousand yards off the road, you know, which is awesome. Um, but if you had like a yeah UTV or an ATV or something like that you could get just a little bit further out and i think have actually like a pretty damn good hunt because when you we were looking at where we are i mean off the highway we were you know 60 70 miles so it was like you know i mean we were out there yeah it's just as far as like a bush plane ride you know so it's like it's not like the moose care you know but yeah it was pretty cool it's cool to have that you know that you can just go up there and buy a moose tag over the counter every year if you want to do you know, and here it's like a once in a lifetime event. Yeah, what a great opportunity! And, and like you say, UTV or the ATV, and um, to be able to get off those roads. But those those roads, like it, it's not as easy as like having some groomed trail. Like I think you're four wheeling those things too. I think you got them on hillsides, oh, yeah. <laughs> and I think you're, I think you're pushing the limits. Like I think you're cowboying no matter what you're doing, whether you're in a pickup For truck sure. or your ATV or whatever it is, but um, there is some great opportunities. Like I know some locals up there that hunt that way and yeah, they kill some good bulls for sure. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, yeah, it's amazing. I mean, I think to a degree, it's almost like their version of elk hunting, you know, slightly lower densities, but I think it's kind of like the equivalent, you know, but it's like, man, I don't know. I <clears throat> There's something about them. It's, you know, you shoot an old bull elk. It's like pretty tough eating. I feel like, and I feel like every moose that I had when I was up there, be it the super old ones from Western Alaska, or the one that I killed, was like some of the best table fare I've ever had, you know, and I don't know why. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, because I know the last two elk that I've killed have been like pretty, uh, <clears throat> you know, like a lot of hamburger. 
Gotcha, copy. Yeah, some of those old bulls can definitely be that way. I, I've had pretty good luck with with elk, but I know I've had a couple of those over the years. I shot one that, like the, it was missing so many teeth. It was like the oldest elk in history. I think I had the jawbone was aged. And it was like over fifteen or something crazy like that. Holy cow! And dude, you couldn't you couldn't chew through a steak if you had to. Like it was <laughs> like you say there is a there was a bunch of burger made out of that bull for sure. So, yeah. No, that's for that's sure. killer. They eat so good like uh it's weird you don't hear too much about moose meat maybe it is because they're so rare in montana like i don't i don't hear much of a reputation around about around moose meat but i'm i'm sure it's prized up there by by locals and then um cool that you got to eat on some old bulls and they tasted so good oh for sure yeah i mean it's hard to like do a inside tenderloin wrong you know but it's like man that was after we killed the first bull when we were out there, it was like we pretty much only ate moose meat the rest of the hunt. We were just like gorging ourselves, you know, like it was awesome. It felt super primal, you know, it was like we we were like done with the mountain houses. We're like, we're not eating this. We're like, we'll have oatmeal in the morning and then just have moose steak the rest of the time, you know, and it was awesome. You can like feel it, like fuel you, you know. Good for you guys. Yeah, it's uh, a... Uh, moose meat compared to Mountain House, and uh, I can tell you what, what would win out for me. <laughs> yeah, dude, for sure. <laughs> Especially after having just got done with an 18-day stint where you're eating nothing but Mountain House, you know, and it's like, oh, man, fresh meat, we're just going to bomb this, you know? Man, that is really cool. What an experience, man. Um, how many days did you spend up there? Um, I was in Alaska from, like, August 7th, through i think like october 1st i think um this is a pretty pretty good send you know and we did 18 days in sheep camp spent probably 15 days total hunting moose and then we we're on that uh a fog mac elk hunt for like six days i think five days oh wow uh so you went on that uh elk hunt on a fog mac. i hear that yeah. thing's brutal Dude, okay, so yeah, that's what I've heard too. And like everybody's like, they're so huge, like big bodied, blah, blah, blah. The terrain, and the terrain does suck. The brush is terrible. But we got like blessed with, I mean, great weather and didn't rain once on us, you know, which is like unheard of. Cause like I know Remy Warren has always talked about like that was like his most difficult hunt he's ever done, you know, or like, and cheerily because of the weather and the terrain. And we got lucky, man. And like, I mean, it was cool. We, we took a boat to where we hunted, which was kind of added to the adventure. It was a full like 12 hour boat ride. So it was like a full send, you know, it was like a hundred and some miles from Kodiak, um, which, which was super cool. Uh, but man, like that was pretty wild. Like it would be a cool elk tag to have just to, like killer Roosevelt, you know, in such like a remote place. But it's like, dude, those elk were the dumbest elk I have ever come across in my life. <laughs> like, like we, so we killed a bull. I like, called him in, killed him. It wasn't a herd bull. It was like a satellite, you know, like five by five. And then we like dealt with him and started packing him out. And we bumped the herd three or four times on the hike out and like literally came within like the 40 or like 15 to 40 yards of the herd bull, like three or four times on the hike out. And we, our wind was bad. Our wind was literally blowing at them the whole hike out. And they just kept like walk, like bumping like a hundred, 150 yards and like holing up and it was full rut, you know? So it was like, they were just probably dumb from that too. But like, you know, if you were to do that on a rock, you like those things would be in the next County, you know? 
Yeah, absolutely, right? High pressure elk. Just um they they just uh don't get hunted over there much, huh? No, it's like pretty limited draw. Like the locals can get some tags more frequently, but I don't know I don't know what the draws are, but it's like pretty terrible, you know. Um it's a cool adventure for sure. I mean it's a long ways to go to get an elk, but I mean you're never gonna like you know, where else are you gonna go? kill an elk on an island in the north pacific you know in the gulf of alaska essentially you know it's pretty wicked one of a kind for sure yeah it was cool like just uh it was kind of cool to like close out my alaska experience this year with like an elk hunt you know it was like something i would not never have expected to do in alaska and it was like uh it's kind of a cool like close out hunt you know just because it's like something i'm super familiar with you know so it's like oh sweet well this is going to be like not easy but it's like you're hunting elk with a rifle in the rut in a latin like super remote alaska like this should be like a pretty good slam dunk here you know <laughs> good for you guys um yeah well <laughs> yeah. and caught good weather like i'm sure that helped like nasty oh, yeah. weather would have made it tough for sure i would not have wanted to mainly i wouldn't want to have been on the boat like sailing to or on the way there or the way back with any worse than we had you know because like i think the way back we were hitting like seven eight foot swells it looked like and that's like i don't know we were on a 42 foot boat but i wouldn't want to do anything more than that you know it's just like you're just getting the shit rocked out of you the whole time dude that ocean <laughs> like, is sketchy right that ocean can be yeah, so angry dude. and there's there's like no control like my dad used to run a charter boat when i was a kid like out of westport washington and like um you know for the most part you see pretty nice weather pretty nice seas nothing really scares you but when you see dad get nervous or when you have like a three-hour run and then you got to come across the bar to get into the marina and the bar is the roughest Uh spots where it can have rollers Uh like i just remember being (laughs) a kid and like being on a couple of those and seeing my dad sweating bullets and like he's the skipper and like a 50-foot boat and you're just going over these huge waves you know crashing down and if one thing goes wrong on the boat or the engine cuts out or whatever the case is oh like, yeah uh, uh you know you're in the middle of the ocean like it's going to be tough to survive that but yeah that that ocean can be so gnarly that had to add to the experience but that it makes me nervous when i don't have any control over the situation like yeah. that for sure and like the bush planes i mean those are unnerving in their own right because it's oh, just dude. you know it's a super covered time you know it's just like anything happens you're like done but then the ocean it's like a whole different thing it's like it's all around you and you're in this tiny little like it feels like you're in a teacup you know it's just like <laughs> dude if they, yeah just like you're saying if something were to go wrong it's like i don't know you just kind of have to accept it i guess but it's like you definitely feel great when you get back to port and like step on the dock and you're like, oh, okay, sweet, we're back. You know. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Anytime you get off the boat or get off a plane and touch solid ground, you're like, okay, yeah. I'm all right. We were riding back in the Beaver, um, so we took a Beaver plane and can haul more weight than a Super Cub, but it needs more yep. of a runway. You can get like a Cub in For anywhere, sure. but. These beavers, they're older planes. They're like 1950s, 1960s, and they're they're like bomb-proof planes, right? And so they don't fall apart much. But the the one we were in, we it's sketchy in the fog and around those mountains, and there there is no, you know, the navigation is a GPS and it's like a, a track, but you, you're doing it all by sight. And so when the clouds come in and you can't see anything, it gets really sketchy really quick, you know. And so yeah. He had to put off picking us up for a couple days just because the weather was bad. And then when he finally did land, 
like a you know we were uh, in reaching them you know the cloud cover and how high the clouds were and it went from you know 500 feet to 100 foot to no vis and he's like well i'm already here i'm coming down you know it's like man he just came down through the clouds and landed on this gravel bar dude and then we we took off from that thing and it was the same deal flying through the clouds just hoping you're not going to hit a mountain and uh, we finally made it above the clouds and it wasn't too bad but all of a sudden we're just going and the engines cut out the total plane dies nothing like oh my we're god. a hang glider oh my god and all of a sudden the oh pilot's pumping on the right and like you don't want to say anything you're like okay just don't say like it's not my time to panic <laughs> like just let this pilot do his deal so he was pumping some stuff and then you know about 15 seconds later started it back up you know and he's like ah i ran out of gas this this uh plane's got five tanks and only three gauges and it was like no big deal to him it was like me oh, i about yeah. died from the anxiety of like being oh, you know, yeah. like free floating <laughs> in the air like i could just see myself like this is how it ends you know it's like right. oh, oh yeah gosh. just wild dude for sure dude i feel like and every time you get in the bush plane the the pilots are always going to say some like super cryptic shit like right before you get in you're like hey, can you just not say that like, like my first plane ride of the season he was like like i'm getting in i was the last dude to get shuttled you know and he's like all right we're getting in here and we ain't coming back and i was like oh i just don't like the way you worded that you know and then like the one we took back from moose camp it was like so our we like tagged out early and our commercial flight was like scheduled for like the 14th or something like that and they couldn't get us on any other planes before that so my outfitter and the other pilot were like well we'll just fly you and pete will come back in the super cubs with us and it's a five and a half hour super cub ride and we had to go through the alaska range and doug the pilot's like yep merrill pass has got more plane wrecks on it than any per capita than anywhere else in the state of alaska and i was like god doug you just you really know how to just warm a guy up for this. and so the whole plane ride and like merrill pass it really wasn't that bad it was actually pretty badass flying through there but the whole plane ride the whole three and a half hours preceding that i'm just like on edge the entire and it was like a beautiful flight but it was like i'm just like nervous as shit the whole time i was like doug why did you have to say that before we got on the plane like dude you know like i'm freaking out right now and he's like ah don't worry i don't want to become a statistic either and you're just like Dude, just lay off the cryptic, the cryptic, you know, sayings before I get in the plane. <laughs> well, it's his his thousandth plane ride. You know, it's like your third or fourth. You oh know? yeah, it's like and uh, they sure. have kind of like a dark sense of humor to him. You know, it's almost oh, like oh, a yeah. like a military guy or something that's been through a bunch of warfare. You know, he just like uh uh they they kind of like uh, uh some of the things they say is definitely stick with you. That's so funny, man. <laughs> You're like, can you please not say this? And like, dude, before we got on the boat to go to Fognac, the lead, the head guy that I was with is like, yeah, it's going to be like perfect storm out there. I was like, dude. I was like, and then we had like three days. We had to wait because of high wind. You know? And I'm like, he was like, yeah, you guys are going to be like the perfect storm out there. And I was like, dude, fuck. And so I'm waiting three days. And so it's just building up in your mind. And like, by the time we left, I was like a nervous wreck. You know, I was like, oh, I got to get on this boat. And it's going to be like, you know the waves are all huge it's like ah, you know you're like uh i don't know under you come out on the other end of that like better than with a better appreciation for life than you did before but it's still like oh man it's kind of like 
you get to the end of the season, you're like, oh, thank God that's done. <laughs> oh, that is so <laughs> nerve-wracking, man. <laughs> it's just so out of your control, too. You're in the perfect storm, sure. but you're also not driving, you know? It's like you're just a passenger, right. you know, and you're reliant upon For other sure. people's decisions, too, you know? Oh, um, yeah, and then, like, yeah, it's rough. And then you get back on the commercial airline to come home, and you're like, oh, this is a breeze, you know? Like, this is nothing. I'm asleep. Yeah, absolutely nothing. It doesn't matter what turbulence you hit or anything. It's like, man, yeah, this oh, is no. nothing. Uh, this is light yeah. duty. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh, man. Well, what a wild experience. Uh, bet you're getting excited. Uh, Going to hunt some late season bulls around here? Yeah, for sure. Hopefully the well, – I was, like, stoked on the weather last week. I was like, man, this is going to be the best opener ever, you know. And then it's like, I mean, it's warmer now, but I don't know. It is what it is just hunt hard and do what you got to do, I guess, you know? Yeah. You love that. Late it's going to be fun though. Yeah. It's such a fun season. <clears throat> for sure. Big bulls around. Well, the stock looks really good, dude. There's some really good bulls, good age class around. I was really impressed uh, with that last storm, you know, just kind of hunting them like we hunt late season bulls or like I used to in my rifle days um, was pretty cool with for sure. my hands. Yeah. And you just killed a slammer bull too <laughs> <laughs> yeah that, that definitely makes a pretty cool experience for sure but there is a lot of good bulls like, i just arrowed a giant bull <laughs> it was uh, awesome just arrowed a giant yeah for sure yeah. for sure in the snow you know it's like that doesn't happen all the time at all no no that's Which... snow bull with a bow and arrow is pretty wild but yeah dude um it, it was good hunting you know how that you know when you're when you're hunting that late season it's just the the weather the the storms and the cold just gets those things moving gets them on their feet where you can see them and you can hunt them it's really what you need in that late season hunt otherwise it can be you know it can be really tough i mean you still cover a bunch of miles and you look in all the hidden basins and sometimes you come across a good one but man the equalizer is definitely that weather for sure. Yeah. If you don't get that, you're like, just, I don't know. It's really, really, really tough. Cause those bulls are just hole up in like the dark timber. And until that, like that North facing stuff gets so loaded with snow that they can't like paw at the ground and get at any of the grass. It's like, and they have to move. There's nothing to make them move, you know? And so it's like, you're really kind of relying. I mean, I'm glad that we at least have some snow. I'm sure it's kind of starting to melt a little bit over there too, but you know, it's like definitely here last week when we got that snowstorm. It didn't snow much, but like stuff was moving. I was out wolf hunting and I like definitely saw like a lot moving around. I saw like a group of like 14 bulls or something like that one day, you know, and it was like, oh yeah, they're up and moving, you know, and it's like you get the weather windows and it's like, it's awesome. But until you do, it kind of sucks or it can. Yeah, it can be tough for sure. Well, especially uh, if they're not rutting. Oh, you know? yeah, I know. The the rut and the weather is both the equalizer. But, yeah, it's a tough season to hunt them um, late in October and November, and especially if you don't get the weather. Like you say, they just hold up, and um, they run such tight programs, and they can be really tough to find, such a small window to find them. And then, you know, they can just hang in the timber, like you're saying, or in small slides and shoots, and just um, they're tough to see. But it's amazing when you get the weather how many elk are actually around. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. All of a sudden you'll be sitting there and there'll be like a herd of like a hundred pop out, you know, and you're like, whoa, where did those come from? You know, or like a big group of bulls, like a huge group of like bachelor bulls. And you're like, dude, this is insane. You know, anytime you see like, I don't know, it can be so cool like that late season because like, dude, you'll see a group of like, you know, 10 to 15 bulls all of a sudden you're just like, this is epic, you know, especially if they're mature, you know, like six buys. 
Yeah, all great big balls. I know, dude. It's so epic oh, yeah. when you find the party like that, all batched up. And um, like you say, it just blows your mind, like the, the size of them and the numbers, you know. And it's like you, you can spend your whole season looking at small fives and small sixes and things, but, boy, you get that weather, and all of a sudden it's like, where did you come from, you know? A giant six yeah. points, and there's ten of them, like you say. Uh, it's just wild what can come out when you get that weather. Yeah, and yeah, you just hope for that all season. I, I mean, yeah, you just got to hunt hard, I guess, but just hope for the weather. seems like the later in November it gets, the better the weather can get, but then if you don't get it, it's kind of like, oh, you're putting on a lot of miles. You know, you're putting on the same or more amount of miles you put on an archery season, but you see a lot less, you know, mm-hmm. and that can be like a struggle to keep keep in there mentally, which is probably the hardest part of late season hunting is just like, having the drive not to call it and go back to the truck, you know, just like sitting out there all day glassing, you know. That's exactly right. Yeah, you spend all your time trying to look for one. And then, you know, also you have like it takes a different kind of toughness in the cold as well. You know, there's a lot of fires started like uh, just to keep warm. Yeah. Like anytime you stop, you got to build a fire to keep warm. Uh, but it's a different kind of toughness, you know. It, it It's cold, uh, brutal conditions, long miles, and then just even making it to the trailheads, dude. Like we got that snow around here. Oh, yeah. Um, man, it was crazy. Like, um, you know, I don't have a snowmobile or anything like you can hardly make it to the trailheads when you get a really good storm. And, um, oh, I, for sure. I buried my truck so bad. Like, uh, <laughs> dude, it, it like snowed a bunch, right? And the road wasn't too bad, but, um, get on the backside. I know it can be drifty back there, but it's like whiteout conditions, yeah. a foot of snow on the ground and it's really blowing around this valley. And so I went around this corner. And all of a sudden, it's just like white, like snow just comes over over my hood and in my windshield, and I can't see anything, (laughs) and it's white, and you're trying to keep on the gas, and all of a sudden, I'm buried, right? And so I get out and kind of dig my way out of this snow drift in this corner, and I wanted to back out and go the way I came because I knew I could make it out. But unfortunately, my momentum and the way the truck got out of there, I plowed through the front of it. So now I'm all the way through the snow drift, and I'm like... Well, I don't want to turn around and go back through that corner. I'm just going to bury myself again. I'll just go out this way. So I start going out, and it's like, oh, it's drifty. Oh, this isn't bad. Oh, it's drifty. (laughs) You know, and then we're going up, and I'm like, what's that up in the road up there? And and at this point, we're so committed on the gas, 35 miles an hour, like swerving back and forth Uh to keep her straight in the snowdrift. And this thing that's in the middle of the road is a truck that's just absolutely buried in the ditch, like all the way up to the hood. And now I'm flying by this truck, you know, and I'm so committed. And then I bury it. And I've got like a half a mile to go of snow drift. I'm so buried, so stuck, and I'm so screwed. Like there's, you know, nothing you can do. You just get out with the shovels and then, you know, had to chain it up and, you know, finally got momentum. And thank goodness got that momentum. And then those chains are just like there's saving grace when you can chain it up. It just gives you a grip and got me out of there anyways. But, man, I it, it was a couple hours of battle in snow drift for sure. So it can be just a battle just to make it to the trailhead when you get those storms oh dude yeah i definitely equate it to like the nerve-wracking shit of like a bad super cub ride it's like dude i've been on some mountain roads before where i'm just like white knuckle i mean it is legitimately the reason i bought a snowmobile because i was like i am tired of like white knuckling of like driving up to the trailhead in the morning you know of like having that hour hour and a half drive of just like pure white knuckle terror you know, or it's like the truck's not wanting to track and it's like, you know, if you go off the road, it's like, that you know, you might die, you know, and it's like, 
I don't know. I looked at it. I was like, I could either like take a six thousand dollars sled up there and maybe wreck that, or I, you know, like wreck my truck, which is like, you know, substantially nicer. It's like uh, I'll take the sled. You know, it's just like keep it on the road, keep it legal, but you know, it's still like a lot less unnerving to take a sled up a road than take a in truck. You know, especially when it gets bad and snow drifts or like ice, like any of that can just be like terrifying. Two day, That's half um, the battle. Yeah, uh, you describe it perfectly. You battle the same stuff I do. Yeah, it is like a like a super cub ride. It's just like the 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 conditions here in Montana with hunting late season. And yeah, it definitely. If I did it more, I think that's smart to get a sled and uh, just not have those white knuckle drives where you're gambling your thirty thousand dollar truck or whatever it is. You know, oh, it's your yeah. vehicle that gets oh, you yeah. to and from work. Like you really can't wreck it. And right. I don't know what the insurance is gonna say when I wreck it down some dirt road with a foot and a half of snow they're like hey dummy i think this one's on you like we're not covering you on this deal you know it's like um but yeah you're just gambling it and it's it's just so dangerous and so slick and if you start sliding backwards and it seems like you're so committed when you're going up there too yeah i just um that's one of the scariest things of hunting late season for me you know the chaining up and the the, the roads and man oh man um I think you're smart to get a sled that may be me I hunt a lot of late season muleys too like God it'd just be nice not to have to worry about that and be able to get around the mountains right and just like oh well it's too bad to drive I'm just gonna like pull the sled out of the bed and just like you know rip up there and be like have a very relaxed snowmobile ride or just have like you know you're just so white knuckled that you're like rattled when you get out of the truck, you know, you're just like, Oh, you know, like, eh, this is, I'm glad I'm out of the car. Glad I'm out of the car. But then you have that to look forward to on the way back down, you know, <laughs> that's, what I was just like, say. Oh. that's like my anxiety all day long is that I know I have to drive down and it's snowing more or it's blowing snow. And you're like, Oh man, I got to drive out of here tonight. Or I got to find my way home. Like that's a lot of anxiety through the day. It'd be nice to know that you got a sled there. That's going to get you back to your vehicle safely. As long as the sled starts. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's always something. It's like I always keep the snowshoes like on the sled because it's like if it doesn't start, it's like you can always walk out. But oh, yeah, the sled is highly preferable. And I don't know. If you do enough of it, I feel like it, it, I don't know, it saves you so much grief and heartache just to be able to like, oh, I'm just going to rip up there on the sled. And, you know, as long as you're not doing anything like off trail or off the road, you know. It's just like whatever, but yeah, definitely a nice tool to have. Yeah, absolutely. Well, a bunch of these tools that just come in handy for, um, you know, hunting the West that give you an advantage. And it's not like you're hunting off the sled or anything. It's just getting you to those access points, which can be so tough. Like I know, you know, that huge winter storm that we got like five years ago, six years ago, where they killed just a bunch of giant bulls. Like, dude, you couldn't even make it off the highway. You couldn't even make it you know, up to the trail, up to the public land, because the snow and the drifts were so bad, like you had to have a sled or you weren't hunting, you know, so definitely That's a great insane. tool. So. That's insane. That would be awesome. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's what you're pulling for, for sure. Well, dude, um, it's always so fun to catch up with you. we got to do some hunting here together. Um, I just couldn't wait to get Hell you yeah. on the podcast to talk over some of your Alaskan adventures. Um, it was wild following along on some of those hunts you did. And, um, man, it sounds like uh, you had an awesome fall. Yeah, man. Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to the next month, you know, getting out. It's been, yeah, it's been an awesome season. Probably the coolest I've ever experienced, for sure. Man, so killer.
All right. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate it. We'll uh, talk at you soon. Cool, brother. Okay. Cool. All right, guys. That's a wrap. Man, it's so fun. Uh, I I love these podcasts where I can get together with buddies and catch up. And that Alaska adventure that he had up there uh, just sounds absolutely wild. So really appreciate Brandon coming back on the podcast and talking about that. And um, I'm sure I'm going to see him here in this um, late season as he'll be hunting bulls hard. And uh, he enjoys that snow and that cold. And really, I think late season bulls, man, I gained a ton of experience hunting late season bulls. Um you know, when I started, I just wanted to kill a good bull. I didn't, it didn't matter to me if it was with my bow or with my rifle. And uh, so I would hunt for a good bull through bow season. And then, you know, for quite a few years there, I wouldn't fill my tag or, you know, some years I did, some years I didn't, but I'd get to take part in the late season elk hunting. And man, it just, um, it takes such toughness, you know, to be able to put on the miles and keep your mind into it and then deal with the cold and uh, deal with the hunting pressure. There's a lot of guys out there, the orange army, you know, and so you're dealing with that as well. Uh, but I just learned so much about elk and elk habitat, elk behavior. It taught me, I mean, it really helped mold me into the elk hunter I am today. So anyways, cool stuff. Um, yeah, thanks again to Sportsman's Warehouse for their support of the podcast. Thanks for Eastman's for their support. And, um, man, I'm uh, I'm riding a high here. I uh, I killed a great bull. I'll um, do a solo podcast about it here and, and uh, talk about that, that bull and kind of my elk season. It's been a trying season. I mean, it definitely wasn't easy. But in the end, it came together. I think I had, like, over 20 days into elk hunting and uh, in between work and everything else I got going on, but uh, finally able to close the deal on a great bowl, make a great shot. Uh, it was in the snow with my bow, like deep, like foot, foot and a half of snow. It was just um, one of the, the craziest, one of the, the, the coolest experiences in my elk hunting career. I mean, it was just absolutely amazing. Um, so yeah, sit riding a high from that, but um, thanks you guys for the support. I really appreciate it. And with that, I'll check in with you next week.